G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Please pray with me as we come to particularly look at John 9. If you've got a Bible in front of you, that's the passage to keep open, in particular John chapter 9. Please pray with me. Father God in heaven, some of us here are looking forward very eagerly to the return of Jesus and the new creation, partly because we look forward to bodies made new with eyes that actually work properly, uh, that can see again, uh, being able to read again, being able to see faces that are but a haze. Uh, Lord God, speed the day, we pray. But we recognise as well, God in heaven, that that is not the only blindness that we grapple with. And so we ask, Father, today, would you please, by your spirit, be at work in us and overturn, turn back uh, some of the blindness, that spiritual blindness, and give us the eyes to see Jesus so much more clearly and in all of his glory. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, fellow believers in the Lord, we have to face the challenge of believing in a Lord like Jesus while living in a world like ours. So between now and Easter, our tradition is to focus on the life of Jesus, isn't it? We look at the gospel stories. I reckon it's a good tradition and I'm very happy to keep that one um, going. And I put it to you, this whole section of John's gospel, uh, we're returning to to John from where we left off nearly 12 months ago now, I put it to you that this section of John's Gospel pushes us hard with the challenge of deeply, bravely believing in a Lord like Jesus while living in a world like ours. Realistic about the world, realistic about the challenge, but also presenting to us the glory of Jesus. What a wonderful, uh, excellent Lord He is. But before we get to the world like ours, out there, we kick off with John 9, and it seems to me that John, uh, he sets us some homework in this passage. Before you get out there, get your own house in order, O disciples. Uh, Before we go out into the world, let's attend to ourselves. Now, by way of introduction... Uh, let me share this with you. Just last week, I had a meeting uh, at a cafe in the city. It was with one of you, actually. So we'll see if uh, you remember it the same. We can we can uh, compare notes later on. Anyway, we uh, sat out the front at a table on the footpath for our little meeting, and I thought things were going swimmingly. The coffee was great. The meeting was going well. We were ticking through our our uh, agenda items. Um, The company, of course, was good, Uh, but then something happened that threatened to sour things a little bit. You see, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a guy who I was pretty sure was going to interrupt the peace of my coffee and my pleasant little meeting. Uh, I don't think I'd even squarely looked him in the face, but I could tell two things just from seeing him in my peripheral vision. Number one, he was edging closer. There was no doubt about it. He was closing in. He planned to interrupt um, our meeting. Number two, he was what you might uncharitably call a shifty-looking dude. So I double-checked where my bag was, made sure that my laptop was safe and sound, couldn't just be grabbed and run off with. That was about the only valuable thing that I had. Uh, So I was okay, I figured. 
Now, I don't know what your experience with homeless folks has been. I used to live in Sydney and gosh, that, that is a whole other level um, compared to Little Hobart. Uh, but even back when I worked in Hobart, you just, you develop a ready-made response. Uh, you, you prepared, I suppose. So as this shadow of a man approached from my peripheral vision, I did the quick mental prep. Yep, he's going to ask for money. It'll allegedly be for a bus fare. Yeah, right. I'd decline, but partly to make myself feel better, I'd offer to buy him something to eat, but he'd probably refuse anyway. So conversation over, back to my little meeting, happy days. I was prepared. I was ready. Folks, I'm sad to say... Um, well, actually, I'm glad to say, I'm just ashamed about what it says about me, that when he politely interrupted, he asked not for money, he didn't ask for a bus fare, he asked for food. Apparently, homeless though he may be, he was on some medication which messed with his belly, he had no appetite, so it wasn't like he was hungry, but he knew that if he didn't eat, that it would cause him bigger problems. So may I please have something to eat? Do you know the worst thing about prejudice is I can't see mine. (laughs) It's like my nose or something on my face. I just can't see it. Oh, I can see yours just fine. (laughs) You know what I mean? I can see yours. No worries at all. Sticks out clear as day. I can spot yours a mile away just like you can see mine. You know, I, I hear a presidential candidate propose a moratorium on allowing Muslims into America and I scoff. I just think that is ridiculous ill-informed, bigoted nonsense. Or I hear asylum seekers still being described as illegals as if international law has somehow changed and doesn't recognise their right anymore to say, hey, I'm not safe at home, may I please have a place here to live that's safe? Or I see the difficulty that gay friends have in coming out, whatever else you might say, and we might say plenty about sexuality, there's some pretty serious prejudice issues there, isn't there? That is a real uphill challenge, the process of coming out. So race, religion, sexuality, poverty, even wealth, prejudice can work in reverse, of course. I raise all that because John 9 starts not with a tirade against those phony Pharisees in their muddle-headed, nasty, hypocritical, phony, always-judging kind of ways. It doesn't start there. No, in the wisdom of God and through the pen of the Apostle John, our story begins with an unflattering picture of the people who are closest to Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. Would you please read along with me? Just try to imagine the scene. Can you imagine hearing the jaw-dropping question as it falls from the lips of these disciples, as they blurt their question to Jesus. Perhaps within this man's earshot, hello, he's blind, he's not deaf, I can hear you, hello. Chapter 9, verse 1, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Born blind. Born that way. They know he was born blind, that's in their very question, and yet they still ponder, maybe it's his fault. Perhaps he did something in the womb to warrant him not being able to see a single thing on any day of his life. 
Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jewish rabbis, one expert on the, on the subject writes here, Jewish rabbis generally believed in a direct cause and effect relationship between suffering and sin. And you might wonder, why? Why would they assume that, a cause and effect relationship? Well, it's religious, actually. So they were trying to get God off the hook. He continues, underlying the disciples' statement is the concern not to charge God with perpetrating evil on innocent people. Do you see? So if it's this man's own fault, or at least his parents, at least his family somehow, then great, we can tie it all up in a neat little bow, it's their fault. So now I don't have to answer awkward questions about God and suffering and difficulty in this life. The only problem is, of course, that that kind of logic leads them to view this man how? Well, he's blind from birth, it must be his fault. It's ugly, isn't it? What a start to a passage. Now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't start off by taking them to Job that we just had read. Do you remember that? It, it, it doesn't take us, Jesus doesn't take them there. Or to the Psalms, how long, O Lord? You know, the righteous sufferer of the Psalms. Or David, I mean, David wasn't perfect. Or Daniel, Jesus could have taken them to any, you could probably think of some other examples as well. No, 9 verse 3, States it, plain as day, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Just keep your eye out, displayed for the, the visual kind of seeing kind of metaphors that Jesus starts using might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So this man went and washed and came home seeing. Why do you reckon he sent him to the this pool called sent? I think it's just an emblem, isn't it? Plain and simple. I'm the one sent from God. So go to the pool called Scent. It's just a little emblem, just a little uh, symbol, a little detail. No biggie, there's no magic in the pool. I could have sent him anywhere. I could have sent him to no pool at all. 9 verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seen. Jesus is saying, I'm going to put something on display, O disciples, and I am the light. And when I'm gone, it will be dark. This is a weird way to start a miracle story, unless the point isn't the miracle. See, often with miracle stories, it's, it's so simple, right? Oh, Jesus has lots of power. He's got an amazing authority. Oh, he has the authority to forgive sin. Oh, he's the prophet like Moses who feeds the crowds in the wilderness with the bread from heaven, so to speak. Okay, done, good. But this one's different because we're only up to verse 7 of 41 in this passage. No, I'm going to show you disciples and I'm going to show the world. I can fix this man's blindness, no problem. But much harder and much worse is the blindness that you guys don't even see that you've got. It's like your nose on the face. It's like something on your face. You can't even see it. The blindness that fails to see the shining light of God in the world while I'm here. You have that blindness, disciples. 
Will you come to me so that you can see? Verse 8, let's keep reading. His neighbours, they get involved now, his neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him, I don't know. He said, now what happens next sounds like a very silly move to our ears, doesn't it? If you're going to the Pharisees, why would you go to the Pharisees of all the people? Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been born blind. So why would they do that? It's because they think he's lying and so they need to twist his arm to get him to tell the truth. Come on, man, you can't possibly be the same guy. No, I don't think it's that. I think they're out of their depth. There's either a guy wandering about, working with the very power of God at his fingertips, or there's a fraud. Let's get the experts. Let's get the God guys. What I'm confident of is that they weren't expecting to open verse 14's can of worms. (laughs) Because now John tells us, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. So some of the Pharisees said, this man isn't from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. According to the Pharisees, uh, this is Andreas Kirstenberger on this whole Sabbath business. (laughs) According to the Pharisees, Jesus may have broken the Sabbath in the following ways three ways. Check this out. Number one, since he was not dealing with a life or death situation, Jesus should have waited until the next day to heal the man, you see? In the Pharisees' thinking, it's business days only for healings, right? Keep it off the Saturday. You can wait for Sunday. That was their rule. Number two, Jesus had kneaded the clay with his saliva to make mud and kneading ordinarily applied to dough, but they're just extending it to to clay, was among the 39 classes of work forbidden on the Sabbath. Note again, that's their tradition, all right? You won't find an anti-mud-making verse in the Old Testament, not that I'm aware of. Number three, later, uh, sorry, later Jewish tradition stipulated that it was not permitted to anoint eyes on the Sabbath, which seems bizarrely specific to me. It sounds petty, doesn't it? And yet their conclusion, this man isn't from God, for he doesn't keep our version of the Sabbath. And you see, as we know from Alex's excellent reading of it, these two parties, they start polarising, don't they? They start hardening in their positions against one of the Pharisees on one side and this one lone man on the other who's got a lot of pluck and we admire him, we think he's great. What should have been a display in his life, of the work of God, a display to these Pharisees about an unprecedented work of God in their midst. It's going south. So verse 17, finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still didn't believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they asked the man's parents. The parents, of course, I won't read all of it. The parents, of course, they come in, they're petrified of being kicked out of the synagogue. And so they say the bare minimum, yeah, he, he's our son. But, but, but how he got healed, I, I don't know, ask him yourself. 
He's old enough to kick out of the synagogue. The whole scene implodes. The blindness has set in and it is sad and it is tragic. And the sanest guy in the room is the guy in the examination box. One guy summed it up like this. I thought he absolutely nailed it. Stung by the impertinence of this untrained member of the common herd, arguing with them and besting them at their own game, they opt for personal abuse instead of even-handed evaluation. Verse 28, they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. In fact, you notice just a little before that, they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you, don't, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? You see the polarising? He's saying, I'm one of this guy's disciples. Do you want to come and join me? They hurled insults at him. I think the worst of it actually is verse 34, the last one there. You were steeped in sin at birth. Do you realise that's, that's not just a common, that's not just a general statement about, oh yeah, we're all sinners. No, no. You were steeped in sin at birth is a cruel reference, says Don Carson, to the man's congenital blindness. Do you see the irony? So the man was blind after all. So Jesus has opened his eyes, but the irony of their rage escapes them. So great is their own blindness. It's sad, isn't it? And you admire this young guy, I'd have been terrified in his situation. But in the face of people hating on Jesus with wonky arguments, no, he is brave, he's clear, he, he, doesn't, he, uh, he behaves himself, can I say, which is more than I can say for plenty of Christians stuck in arguments like this. Uh, see, when people rail against Jesus, like on the telly, on Q&A or those shows like that, where they kind of wheel in a Christian to feed to the lions, do you know what I'm talking about there? I'm praying, yes, that they'll be clear, yes, that they'll be brave, yes, that they'll speak of Jesus, but mostly I'm praying that they won't lose their cool when they are baited again and again. And this man does that admirably, beautifully. I suspect for most of us, we kind of a few steps back in most of our attempts to talk about Jesus and represent him. I'm reminded of this, this bloke, Ed Welch, who said, sometimes we would prefer to die for Jesus than to live for him. If someone had the power to kill us for our profession of faith, I imagine that most Christians would say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, even if it meant death. The threat of torture might make people think twice, but I think most Christians would acknowledge Christ, he suggests. However, if making a decision for Jesus means that we might spend years being unpopular, ignored, poor or criticised, then there are masses of Christians who temporarily put their faith on the shelf. In other words, kill me, but don't keep me from being liked, appreciated or respected. Lastly, Jesus, again, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe and worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Can I just close with a couple of comments? Firstly, to you, if you feel something of an outsider to this whole discussion, so an outsider that is to faith, looking in from the sidelines, yes, interested perhaps, yes, but you're not exactly falling and worshipping like this man. I think the plain message of this passage is that Jesus saw himself as a light to which the world is blind. Blind. And that may seem a very harsh assessment indeed, but I'm going to say, I reckon it's accurate. Haven't you seen it in action plenty of times yourself? Vast numbers of people who say that they're looking at Jesus and they can see the facts laid out before them, not unlike the Pharisees in the court scene before. There's no lack of data. Yes, he was born blind. Yes, uh, he was actually the right guy. They've got the guy who was born blind and now can see. Yes, Jesus healed him. Yes, it was a work of God. But then there's this willful reluctance, this turning away at the last moment, lest they, what, become a Christian and worship Jesus? No, no. What I put to you is that that is the blindness at work. I don't profess to be able to read your mind, but I put it to you that I've seen that plenty of times and I think that is the blindness in action. It is the prejudice that we cannot even see. Now, take heed, all of us, actually, because us Christians, I think we have a version of it too. See, I think very often we dodge, we avoid, we slither out of obeying Jesus where his word is pretty clear because it doesn't suit us. We're selectively able to see. It's selectively blind. His word doesn't suit us on this point or that point, or it's asking too much, or we'd rather do it our way, and so we slither out of it until someday, Jesus hits us squarely on the head and calls us to repent. And thank God for those moments. No, the call of this passage is, if you know that you are blind, head for the light. Because Jesus can even heal that blindness. Lastly, finally, do you remember me and the homeless man? Or remember the disciples, rather, and, uh, and the man born blind? I'm just drawn back to that phrase there at the start, and we'll conclude with this. In, in chapter 9 and verse 4, it's the marching orders to the disciples in this passage. As long as it is day, chapter 9, verse 4, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He says this to these blind, prejudiced disciples with all of their flaws, whose first impulse isn't to bring this poor man to Jesus for a healing. No, their first impulse is to ask who's to blame. But Jesus says to these guys, we, we must do the work. He could have said, I must do the work of him who sent me. That would have been right. But no, he says, come on, guys, you're with me, 
We must do the work. If you're going to be my disciple, we must do the work of him who sent me. I am the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what's in store over these next sort of uh, half a dozen chapters or however many we manage to cover. To learning together to face the challenges of believing in a Lord like Jesus while living in a world like ours. But I just know that if you stick around with Jesus, he gives you marching orders, he challenges and he'll push us again and again to open our eyes a little bit wider and to open our lives to people that he intends to reach with this really great news. I reckon it's going to stretch us. I'm looking forward to to where it goes. Please pray with me now, though. Lord God in heaven, so often reading the stories of Jesus' life is, is like watching a Western to us. There's the guys in white hats and we like them and there's the guys in black hats and we, we like to poke fun at them, those silly Pharisees with their blindness. But God in heaven, we recognise that there's only one guy in a white hat in the Gospel stories and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself the one who opens the eyes even of his disciples. And Lord God, we ask, would you please continue to challenge us from your word? Help us to see the people around us differently in the light of eternity, in the light of the Lord Jesus, with him as our light. Uh, Help us to recognise the blindness of the world around us and patiently and openly Um, shine the Lord Jesus out from us. Dear God, we ask, would you please do that work on us of progressively, consistently opening our eyes to the situation we find ourselves in and opening our eyes to see the people around us as you see them. Lord God, use us, please, that we might do the work of him who sent Jesus, your work in the world the work of displaying the light of the world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.